The Ram Dama's Kingdom by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 20, The Worst That Could Happen. Gee, this is absolutely incredible, shouted Annie, nearly pressing her nose against the window. And I thought you were scared, he laughed. I'm just in awe of the whole thing, she explained, gazing up at a storm in the upper Atlantic. Look at those clouds. I'll say this for you guys, said Rothstein to Pete Barrett. You sure know how to put on a show. Since the VIPs were allowed in the observation deck area, the senator looked out over the world that he had talked about all his career. A world so much in turmoil, maneuvering and strife was at work. Well, what do you think? asked Barrett. Let me just say, as an expert in foreign affairs, I've never looked at the world quite in this manner. Changing your opinions, Al? asked Congressman Folson. Now, I didn't say that, Dave. They'll be quoting me, so be quiet, he joked. But you are impressed, asked Barrett. Even if everyone else hated the mission, he wanted Rothstein to enjoy it. Impressed, but I'm not convinced, he said, lifting his index finger. From the back of the VIP section, Kellogg sat in the front of the bar alone, watching the gregarious senator. The general seemed to be bored with the whole affair. Having been in orbit more times than he cared to remember, he settled back with his drink. Then he checked his watch. The flight was much more than routine. He had his mind on other things. Walter, said one of his liaisons, we're getting the first network news analysis of the launch. Started followed him over to the screens as the networks played back the launch. Every report is glowing. I've never heard the press so uncritical of the agency. In fact, I would say they're quite astonished. That's because they were a part of it, Sid started. And if Peter brings him a good show at the GE place, cameras and reporters, the whole deal, then we'll be smoking. Great clouds were gathering over the Indian Ocean and up the coast. It looked like a brutal storm. But in the distance, they could plainly see the Himalayas as one convoluted mosaic of stone and snow. Pretty picture if I ever saw one, Doctor, Barrett told Savard as they looked out the observation windows. A picture containing many parts, Mr. Barrett, parts that are indiscernible, yet the parts that form the largest scheme of things. I thought I just said that, <laughs> laughed Barrett. I agree, said Rothstein. Putting all the philosophical differences aside, you really have to stop and think. It's just a tiny microcosm in the universe. Eloquently put, Senator, replied Savard as he looked up at the stars. I think what you just said, Doctor, that's what strikes me. All the parts of the picture, the people, the suffering. I don't know. I don't know what to think. This is all just so magnificent, yet I, I just don't know. General Kellogg was still at the bar and still looking at his watch. It was past noon, spaceport time. The transport had long since made its smooth transition from Earth orbit and was well on its way to the General Electric complex. Regulations had relaxed. They had opened the massive steel hatchway at the rear of the VIP section. Many of the VIPs had already moved up to talk to the passengers, and with special permission, any of the passengers could come up front and view the pilot's cabin through the smoke doors. The mood was festive, like New Year's or the 4th of July. Kellogg, however, was still cranky about the whole thing. He had the most sour expression as Barrett brought more people up from back. Shaking his head, he once again looked at his watch. 
No one in the control room back at the spaceport could believe how perfect everything had gone. Every system had worked out without a hitch, and the press had been astonished by that fact. They were no longer using speculative phrases. In fact, many of the networks were calling the launch of the SRT-457 a roaring success. The revitalization of the space program, a stunning achievement. You tell the networks, smiled started, that I'll be happy to grant an interview at any time. You tell them we have additional footage from our satellites. They're being uh, unusually, uh, they're being unusually gracious, Mr. Director, said one of his aides. Oh, Walter, said Winder, becoming less tense. I have a report from the tracking station. They're right on the money. I think we can rest easy now. You feel better about it? Yeah, I guess I do. How can I not? smiled the bearded winder. Maybe I was wrong to be so demanding. No, Frank, if nobody was ever demanding, we'd still be back launching rocket boosters, he said, holding Winder's shoulder. You're the only one who spoke up, and I admire that, Frank. I really do. Well, Mr. Director, said another aide, you have a call on the SIA channel. Ha, <laughs> Code 7. What, do I become the spy for a day in the general's good absence? Excuse me, Frank started walk down the length of the room to the communications center beyond the space map. A scramble phone linking the SIA channels had been installed that very morning. Started pushed several buttons, having some difficulty at first. Finally, the screen was activated. Lieutenant Johnson came into view. Mr. Director, I, I'm glad I got a hold of you. Oh? I've been informed of something incredible. Really? Then you saw the launch, Smout started, not taking the SIA seriously, and he leaned back in the chair. Mr. Director, I just left a discussion group concerning information we got from the computer scans. Well, what is it? Computer matches up with onboard personnel, indicates a uh, possible problem. On the SRT? There may be potential saboteurs on board, he said. It took Stoddard a few seconds to come back to reality and understand what Johnson had just said. For God's sake, man, make yourself clear, he exclaimed, almost falling out of the chair. Two people who have made threats against the agency are on board. They were involved a few weeks ago at a break-in at the Worldwide Temple in Phoenix, Arizona. Well, what the hell is wrong with you people? Couldn't you have ascertained that prior to liftoff? He shouted angrily. No, Mr. Director, these people have cleverly forged their passes. Bottom line, what does it mean? Asked Stoddard, pausing. Are they going to attempt to blow up the ship? I'm afraid the SRT may be already set to blow up. We've searched their hotel rooms and found some kind of letter. A letter that states they wish to see the space program fail. They have some vendetta against the SIA. And they've planted some kind of device on board. Stoddard was in a state of shock. He had gone from complete jubilation into the depths of despair in a matter of seconds. Taking appropriate action was something he had to do, but cold chills were running throughout his body. Mr. Director. Yes, Johnson, I'm just a little shaken. Understandable, sir. We should be able to avert disaster. You must call General Kellogg at once. Thank God he's on board. Yes, and find out where the device is located. Yes, 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 I know. Sir, you must act immediately. I know you're upset. Yes, I will call him. What are the names of those saboteurs? Harry McGee and Anne Sinclair. Sinclair, said Stoddard, writing down the names. You're in section five on the top level. 
Understood. I'm calling Kellogg at once. I, I, I can't believe this. Who are those people and why? They must be agents of DOS. We aren't sure yet. Kellogg walked up the stairs to the observation deck. He glanced at his watch as he moved down to the VIP seats. What, have you got an appointment, General? Asked Savard, and he smiled. No, I was just trying to correlate our position with the spaceport time. And are you enjoying the flight, Doctor, or is this one big bore like it is for me? I'm particularly impressed with the passenger reactions. I think the cause of space exploration will be enhanced by this effort. No doubt about that, Doctor, said Kellogg. We've made a lot of friends up here today. Excuse me, said Patterson from the top of the cabin stairs. General, General Kellogg. Excuse me, Doctor, he said as he moved down the aisle. Yes, Commander, what is it? Call, sir. Emergency scramble. What? He yelled, acting surprised as he followed the commander down the metal staircase. Kellogg here, said the general as Stoddard's haggard face came over the screen. Matt, Matt, please put on the headphones. Very well, said Kellogg as he cut the audio and listened in private. What the hell is it? General, we have a problem. What do you mean? They just told me all systems were normal. It's not a systems problem said Stoddard as he picked up his handwritten paper. Your Lieutenant Johnson just put me on, on the Code 7 phone. He says that, uh... Can't hear you, Walter. He says there's a device on board that could destroy the ship, and two people who planted it are on board. Well, this is preposterous. We checked everything. General, I don't need your antics right now. Find that computer scan of the passengers. Look for an Ian Sinclair and a Harry Barry to make that Harry McGee. Damn it! You tell Johnson he's on report! Shouted Kellogg. He threw the headphones across the console and stood. Commander Patterson, get me a scan of all passenger lists. Trouble, General? Asked Mesmer. Yes, Colonel, I'll handle it for now. Two passengers have brought some kind of bomb on board this ship. Mesmer just kept flying the ship with amazing coolness, but his heart was fluttering. Names? Asked Patterson as he looked at Williams with great trepidation. Sinclair and McGee, answered Kellogg as the commander typed quickly. Yes, sir, they are on board. Section 5, seats 11 and 12. Good, he said as he saw Stoddard trying to reach him again. He picked up the headphones. Yes, Walter. I forgot to give you this section. I have all that information. Just sit tight, Walter, he said, taking off the headphones as he gently stood. Do you need any help, sir? No, Colonel, I'll handle this. If it's done right, we can find out whatever is about to explode and no one will be the wiser, said Kellogg. He turned and headed for the spiral staircase. Don't let anyone use that scramble phone to talk to Stoddard. Yes, sir, said Patterson. He saw the general check his gun clip, then he placed the revolver in his jumpsuit pocket. He ran up the stairs. Rothstein was near the smoke glass door as talking to Folsom. Rothstein was near the smoke glass door as talking to Folsom. Hey, oh, oh, general, he began. Out of my way, little man, he said, pushing the senator into the seats. Barrett, standing next to the side observation deck, was infuriated. He ran toward Rothstein, apologizing over and over as Kellogg rushed through the rear hatchway. Holding his gun pocket, he ran down the metal walkway tunnel. 
The door to the rear section was wide open. He did not even bother to get his bearings. Instead, he moved to the right directly to section five. He stood in the doorway for a few seconds. Sinclair was sleeping and McGee had the headphones over his ears, kneeling next to the window and gazing at the stars. Kellogg walked very unobtrusively through the aisles and toured them. He tapped McGee on the shoulder. Snapping out a deep thought, McGee took off the headphones and smiled at the general. Annie slowly opened her eyes. What's the matter, general? I need your assistance, both of you, he whispered. He looked into the general's dark eyes. Something wasn't right. Oh, just some SIA business. Something's come up. Please, it's very important. Sure, if you say so, laughed McGee as he nodded at Annie. What's going on, McGee? Asked Annie as they followed Kellogg around the seats. Kellogg shut the hatchway door, motioning them up front. Oh, good. We get to go up to the VIP section. All right, said McGee. Just do what he says, he whispered to Annie. Strangely, Kellogg passed them, moving around the tunnel. When they reached him, he was standing in a firing position. The gun pointed right at McGee's head. Stop right there, he yelled. Is this some kind of act? Asked McGee as he laughed. This is no act, mister. You're under arrest. You two are under arrest. Cut the bullshit, General. I'm willing to go along with you to a point, but go along. You planted a bomb on board. Now you say you want to go along? He's serious, said McGee, gritting his teeth. He's damn serious, Annie. In the front cabin, Barrett was still grilling the three officers about Kellogg's sudden departure to the rear sections. I don't know what caused him to shove Rothstein and go running back like a madman. There's something wrong. Well, I want to know about it. Get me directed started. I'm sorry, Mr. Barrett. We have instructions, said Mesmer. We can't. Well, this is ludicrous said Barrett. He looked at each of them individually and then headed for the stairs. The senator was back up at the bar with Savard. They were obviously talking about Kellogg's disturbance in the hatchway. Inside, McGee was furious. Have you gone completely mad, General? He screeched at Kellogg. You and Miss Sinclair are saboteurs, Mr. McGee, enemy agents of the DOS. Now I'm going to kill you in the line of duty. Oh, you're framing us. Oh, I can... How could I be so damn stupid? He said, stomping on the floor. Of course. Why do you think he booked us on the flight, Annie? Goodbye, Mr. McGee, said Kellogg as he aimed for his eyes. What is this? cried Barrett as he ran inside the corridor. Kellogg, he's trying to kill us, shouted McGee as he dove, pushing Annie to the floor. The gun fired but missed everything. You jackass, Kellogg, cried Barrett as he hit the gun to the floor. Are you out of your mind? He asked, stepping between them. He's crazy, said McGee as he helped Annie to her feet. They're saboteurs, yelled Kellogg. I just got a report on them, you fool. So you come back here and kill them. What about everyone else on board? I'm sure they heard that gunshot. Is something wrong back here? Called Rothstein from around the end tunnel. Oh, great. Now he's involved, complained Kellogg. Listen, Barrett, they've already confessed to me. We did not cried Annie. This is a damn setup, Mr. Barrett, shouted McGee. Are you all right back here? Asked Rothstein again as he came down the corridor. Just a malfunctioning switch, Senator, said Kellogg. Get back until it's safe down here. Senator, yelled McGee. He set us up. You shut up, McGee, said Kellogg as he moved toward the shorter man. But Barrett stayed between them. Senator, just get back up front. Oh, another difference of opinion, smiled Rothstein. You never quit, do you, Kellogg? Just get out of here now, answered the general. 
They watched the senator move back to the VIP section, but McGee jumped for the gun, grabbing it off the floor, and he rolled back. Now look at you done, you stupid-ass Barrett, shouted Kellogg. McGee, however, turned the gun around and handed it to Barrett. We've done nothing, sir, he said as Barrett took the gun. They don't seem like saboteurs to me, Matt, said Barrett as he frowned. Just a ploy. They put a combustor in the navigation system. I don't even know what a combustor is, scoffed McGee. Do you think we'd just be standing here, said Annie, if you hadn't come back here, Mr. Barrett? Right, added McGee. He booked us on this damn flight. I never saw you before in my life, lied Kellogg. What? exploded McGee. You're a damn liar, he cried as he rushed the general, swinging right for his face. Barrett quickly moved in and pushed McGee back. His own glasses fell to the metal walkway. Look, I don't know what the hell is going on here, he said as he picked up his glasses, but I will not have your actions affect the other passengers on this flight. You, McGee, Miss Sinclair, over there, get into this room, he said as he pointed to the right. There was a small kitchen and supply room to the back of the bar. You'll either be protected or held prisoner. You're a bigger idiot than I ever thought, Barrett, said the general. I'll have you booted right out of the agency. Oh, is that right? said Barrett, not even believing the belligerent Kellogg. They can't go anywhere if they're locked inside the galley. And why don't you and I take a little walk up front, General? You'll connect me to Walter Stoddard right now. I will not. That's a scrambled channel and you're a civilian. Look, Kellogg, we have an emergency situation here, Mr. Public Relations Man. I have to get somebody into the navigation console before the combustor reaches its limit. How does he know about all these things? shouted McGee. It's all a sham. Get inside the gallery, Mr. McGee, motioned Barrett. They stepped inside, more out of fear of Kellogg than anything else. Barrett pushed the button and the door shut. Then he punched in a locking code. Let's get up front and talk to Stoddard, said Barrett as he tucked the gun inside his suit. You'd had a better security system. At that very second, the entire transport lurched to the right. It shook violently. People were thrown to the floor and against the walls. Barrett held onto the metal railing as a massive smoke ripped through the VIP section into the tunnel. What the hell was that? yelled McGee from the galley. Join us again next week for another adventurous episode of the Ram Damas Kingdom, Who is He Who Commands the Masses? Produced by Fitton Theater of the Words.